Has the white savior complex infected evangelical missions? We'll explore all of that and more on today's episode of the Missions Podcast coming up in just a minute. But first, let me tell you about Daniel. Daniel fled his home in Peru when he was 12 years old after his drunken father threatened to kill him. Daniel became an alcoholic like his father. One day, he ended up at a local church. But as a Roman Catholic from his upbringing, Daniel resisted the evangelical gospel that he heard and vowed to disprove Christianity itself. Well, that didn't last long. Daniel was converted, and he developed a passion to share the gospel with the lost. That's when ABWE missionary Steve Douglas noticed and began discipling him for nine years. Today, Daniel has founded a seminary in his city of Arequipa, and he's planted 15 churches of his own. Daniel's special, but he's not unique. We're finding partners like these all over the world. And in this changing global climate, we can continue to do greater things for the Great Commission by partnering with people on the field, already risking all to make disciples. Your gift to the Global Gospel Fund can impact a 1,000 missionaries working in more than 70 nations. Become a partner now. Go to abwe.org slash globalgospelfund20. That's abwe.org slash globalgospelfund20. Have you ever been approached by a student expressing a missionary call? For the last 15 years, Spurgeon College's Fusion Program has been equipping students for missions through life-on-life discipleship, college coursework, and intensely practical training. If you know a student desiring to become a missionary, send them to Fusion at Spurgeon College as their next step. To learn more about how we are equipping students for a lifetime, visit SpurgeonCollege.com fusion. Welcome to the Missions Podcast. The show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. I'm Alex Kochman, Director of Advancement and Communications for ABWE International, joined again by Scott Dunford, West Coast Mobilizer with ABWE. Excuse me, West Coast Advancement Coordinator. And that's where we insert our running joke about how long our job titles are, right, Scott? Um, (laughs) But it's good to hear your voice again and to have you here and to be able to fellowship together and talk about missions, which we'd love to do. Just a reminder to everybody before we dive in, if you enjoy the content that you get from this show, uh, please remember to share this with others. Please remember to uh, leave us a positive rating and a review so it can be exposed to others as well. Scott, how are things going on the West Coast? I know you're in the middle of a, a church merger. Well, we are pursuing that. And, uh, you know, so far, uh, God's been really gracious. And so we've started meeting uh, together on Sundays and uh, just seeing some really fun and exciting things happening. But, you know, it's as with anything that's new, it's there's plenty of stress with it. But, hey, we're we're excited to, to see what God could do through uh, two churches coming together and trying to yep. really leverage resources for the kingdom. Amen. Yeah, that's some awesome stuff going on there. Please be praying for the Dunfords as they're ministering uh, in California and so grateful uh, for you guys. But I want to dive into something today, Scott, that it might be a little bit controversial, but that's never stopped us before, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> so our good friend, uh, he's a closer friend to you, but I would I would consider him my friend at this point too, not to be too presumptuous. So shout out, Darren. Uh, but uh, Darren Carlson, who is the president of Training Leaders International, uh, those of you who listen regularly, you know that we had him back in April with our T4G panel that we did. Uh, and he's also pastoring now. Scott, maybe you can kind of give an update, but he had an article back in October on the Gospel Coalition uh, about a situation which 
I'll admit, I didn't hear about it on the news when it happened. I didn't hear about it until it sort of started making waves in our circles this year. Hmm. Yeah. So Darren, uh, had j- just, just to give you a quick update, he's just, uh, he's still with training leaders international, but they've moved their headquarters to Bozeman, Montana. And, uh, he's also pastoring a church there. And so trying to leverage the resources of local church ministry along with, uh, the needs of training leaders around the world. So we're really excited for Darren. This is a big move and uh, something that I know he's excited about and I'm excited for him. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, this, the situation is not, that unusual in some ways, except for the outcome. Um, But uh, you know, this, the story of uh, Renee Bach, who at 18 years old uh, had seen some of the things that were going on in the country of Uganda, as far as the needs and especially related to an orphanage. And then uh, kind of one thing led to another and she ended up moving over there as a young adult and uh, kind of plunging herself into the ministry um, helped start uh, a ministry there and, uh, and did basically, according to her story, uh, hiring people to do uh, medical work. Uh, maybe you can fill in some of the details there, hmm. Alex. Yeah, I, we don't want our listeners to miss this. We're talking about Renee Bach at 19 in hmm. 2009. She left the U.S. Uh, to go to Uganda. So, I mean, yes and amen to young missionaries answering the call. That's also a, a very tender age, uh, at least in our culture today. Um, for for where people's maturity tends to be at, right? And then for about five years, she took care of nearly a thousand malnourished children. By the way, I'm getting these facts from Darren's Gospel Coalition article, um, which we will link to in the show notes. She founded Serving His Children. And according to her, um, she did hire Ugandan medical professionals to care for uh, some of these uh, orphans, children with significant medical needs, but things started to go south. There's another podcast out there called The Missionary. It's an eight-part expose series um, mm. put together by three journalists who spent a year investigating her story and interviewing more than 100 people. So uh, last year, and this is when the news broke, Renee was sued in Ugandan civil court, and the claim was that she was responsible for the deaths of more than 100 children. So here's what you have, Scott. You have a, a, a young lady from the U.S. Uh, you have an impossible situation on the field, right? Facing children dealing with starvation, malnutrition. And on top of all of it, uh, you have the fact that she's not a medical professional. She's working around medical professionals. And she was also a writer. Uh, She was close friends with Katie Davis, uh, who wrote a best-selling book um, talking about ministry in Uganda. Uh, But she had a popular blog, Renee Bach did. And on this blog, she admits to talking about her ministry in the first person, uh, even the mm-hmm. medical aspects, right, Scott? Yeah. You know, talking about things like, you know, rushing in to a situation and I hooked up the IV and I did a mm. blood transfusion and I did all these things. And then later kind of, you know, under these lawsuits is kind of walk some of that back. But certainly, you know, I think that's something we want to talk about, you know, is how missionaries present their works uh, you know, that they're doing. And she, she said, I was guilty of embellishment. I mean, she admits that. Um, yeah. You know, she kind of has to, otherwise, you know, she could be, she, she's being sued for medical malpractice, basically. So that's one of the issues. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, I watched a clip with her on um, Fox News. Shannon Bream was the interviewer. Shannon Bream is is also a, a believer. Um, but Renee Bach and her lawyer were on the news. I believe this clip was from last year. 
And she said, yeah, when I got to the field, I did have a little bit of a white savior complex. And that's how we want to couch this, this issue. Was that what's going on? This, this idea of a white savior complex, there's a lot that we can get into there. Uh, but you know, she represents a new type of missionary, right? Mm. Somebody who's raising support through um, social media, through her digital presence, um, through writing. And it's, it's a powder keg for, for misunderstanding. But it's interesting to me that she does sort of admit that she at least somewhat misrepresented herself. Now, legally, here's where things stand before we dive into some analysis here. So she, uh, I believe, settled basically is what it amounted to. I think there was a few payoffs uh, or payouts rather, um, excuse me, payouts in the amount of, uh, I believe, $9,400 to each of the uh, families that were affected. Um, but I don't believe that she was uh, convicted of any charges formally. I believe she's in the U.S. now. And so uh, this is not a news show or a legal analysis show. Of course, you can go and get that information elsewhere. But man, there's still plenty of unanswered questions. And uh, Scott, I, I want to turn it over to you. Mm -hmm. you've, you've been in a situation as a missionary overseas um, granted, maybe not seeing the same types of needs as <laughs> I've not been in this situation. Like no, <laughs> yes, no, but you have seen need, you have seen yeah. great missionary need. Mm -hmm. And uh, w what do you do in that situation? You know, I, I think that's where the, where Darren's article kind of wrestled with. I mean, there's, a, there's several mm -hmm. questions that, you know, we were thinking through one is how does it, how does a 19 year old girl end up in this situation without any oversight and mm -hmm. accountability and just, you know, I, I can't imagine my 19 year old, you know, I have a 20 year old, almost 21. I have an 18 year old. I have a 17 year old, all of them with huge hearts uh, to serve the Lord and do, do yeah. right. You know, you put them in that situation, you know, I can't imagine, you know, especially if they're driven and gifted and compassionate, like yeah. you know, where, so the question, you know, there's one question that's out there is like, where was the church and where was the mission agency involved in this? So, you know, but then, you know, more directly to your question, um, you know, I do think, I do think there's a sympathy you feel for her, right? I mean, she ends the, she, you know, Darren ends with a quote from her of like, I'm a real person. And one day someone's going to go on the internet and see my name and my kids might think I'm a serial killer and it's heartbreaking. You can just even see in, in here in her interview, you know, just like it, it, it is, it, you do feel compassion for her. You know, you do feel sympathy for her um, because she did in some ways find herself as a victim of not, not a, I might say victim, but I, I guess I'm going to stick with that word, but I think you'll understand what I mean by it. When we say like a victim of the modern evangelical mission movement and the way things are right. Like we, we applaud that we applaud the individualistic, uh, take up, you know, the, take up the, the, the task at hand and do it and figure it out yourself. And we don't even ask questions like, should you be doing this or what's going on with it? And so there is a real ethical question. I mean, Alex, you know, um, you know, what would you do in a situation of, hey, there's a lot of like medical need and COVID spreading across Pennsylvania, you know, would, would you put on your, your stethoscope and, and run out there and just do what you can do? Or would you, <laughs> we would say that's crazy, right? Like, uh, that's insane. So, well, yeah, you know, we would say that's crazy. Um, it, we would certainly, I think, have a lot of legal reasons to say that that's crazy. Mm -hmm. um, medical doctors should be the ones doing that work. Now, there's a part of me that also wonders, you know, is that a, um, a, a byproduct of our modern, you know, post-industrial society where every profession is so separated from every other profession and, and there's so much specialization 
that the idea that somebody who's not a medical professional would even try to do anything, mm. you know, are we overthinking that basically? Um, is there a situation in which somebody, you know, hey, I'm not a doctor, but I, I got to do something because this person in front of me is about to die. I, I don't know. Um, it's hard for me to say what I would do in that situation. Uh, let me share a comment from Chris Howells. Chris, mm. um, shout out to Chris on Twitter. Uh, he's a follower of the show. He wrote to us this comment. He said, as a British, mis- can't talk here today, as a British missionary in Uganda for the past nine years, my question is, what's going on in our home contexts regarding portrayal of Africa slash missions that enables such messy and rotten situations to emerge unchallenged? Uh, she, and I have pretty, uh, I have sympathy for her, Chris says, didn't emerge from a vacuum, nor is she alone. At the same time, how do we learn valuable lessons from her story, which we must, without then going further down an unhealthy, guilt-ridden, and ultimately self-deprecating, uh, uh, self-decapitating, he wrote, path as a Western missions movement regarding Africa. Finally, what does her story teach us about the importance, necessity, and required content of the patient long-term mission training uh, whilst also allowing for the Lord to call and use people who may not be, uh, excuse me, who may not fit, quote, my route, uh, which is he went through four years uh, of theological, missiological training and deployed at age 29. So, you know, it, basically, <laughs> I don't know if any of us have answers. We do have mm. a lot of questions. Now, I want to get back to this idea, though, that, that this yeah. represents a white savior complex. And does this, is that accurate? You know, we we live in a day and age where everything is racialized. We talked about that with Neil Shenvey a little while ago. Um, The fact that post-colonial theory is infecting uh, missions thought and it's causing many people to think, hey, maybe maybe we need to rethink missions because it's colonialism, it's imperialism or, or what have you. Is what she did an example of that or is it, maybe something deeper, maybe more just psychological and less, you know, is it, is it that sort of cultural uh, warfare? I don't know. What do you think? Hmm. I mean, it's a complicated answer, you know, in question, a complicated question with, with multifaceted potential answers, but, you know, it's hard to distinguish between like, what is, you know, what we talk like white savior complex versus what is, you know, just the American uh, cultural you know, so t- take the racial aspects out of it, which I'm yeah. not saying they're not there. Uh, I, I do think that we've been kind of programmed to think of Africa and uh, parts of South America and even Asia as very primitive and backward and really in need of of help, you know, because we, you know, we, we watch the old movies or we hear the old stories. And I mean, I, I know, you know, even just for us coming back from Asia, some of the some of the ways that people would talk to my kids about what they experienced, what life was like that there taught, told me that they had, they had a very backward understanding of the world. Like they saw the world as basically America, Europe, and everywhere else was, you know, basically just, you know, uh, a toilet, you know, I mean, and, um, and we've had politicians, you know, basically refer to these countries that way. So they're just a lot reinforcing, you know, the way we think about the world. And so, you know, hey, they don't have anything, so better my cast-offs than nothing. Not realizing that, you know, these are countries that do have pride and the people that do have, there are people there with education, they do have a medical system. 
And, um, and just because you happen to be American or, you know, potentially happen to be white, uh, doesn't mean that, that you suddenly are the expert on the scene. And I, I, I found, I don't know about you, but I found myself in situations where I got to catch myself, you know, where I'm talking to pastors and from another country and, you know, particularly Africa. And, and I, I, I feel a kind of like natural paternalism and I feel a little bit of superiority of like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming I'm older and more educated and then find out, okay, this guy's very educated. And what was I yeah. thinking? Cause I just assume. So I feel every time I record a podcast with you, Scott, I'm just, what am I thinking? This, this Scott Dunford is so much older and wiser than me. I know. See, see yeah. See, yeah. you just oh, yeah. judge me based on my bald spot. And, <laughs> uh, but, but anyway, you know, I mean, we have these, these things in our mind that are hard to get over because they're kind of, you know, they're just part of the way we've been trained. And I think that's what's happening here, right? So she sees a need and, you know, it's just as foolish as me thinking I can go to the ICU because I heard there's a shortage of, you know, doctors in our local ICU. So I, I hmm. scrub up and show up because I'm going to help. Well, no, there's a way to help and you're not helping. You're actually getting in the way. You're causing more problems. You know, this is where, let me make a point in passing, and then I want to circle Mm -hmm. back to something you said at the beginning about race. But the point that I want to make first is, this is where the rhetoric of urgency in missions is not always helpful. Yeah. So yes, eternity is forever, and this life is short. Yes and amen. Uh, But we've already talked on this show before about the ways in which that can be unhelpful. We need missionaries who are willing to go and stay and do the hard thing and learn one, two, or, or more languages, embed themselves Uh, in a culture, in a context, and, you know, spend 20, 30 years of their life to bring the gospel to a least reached people group or language group, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Expecting to do everything on a microwave speed basis is not accurate. It's not healthy. So thinking about urgency in that way, yeah, it it may seem to you um, as though you have such an urgent situation of need in front of you um, that you have to act immediately. But biblical wisdom requires you to put that through some filters. Right. You experience this even in America. Um, it, if I were to empty my wallet to every homeless person that I happen to drive by, uh, that that may be motivated by love, but at some point I'm actually neglecting uh, my duty to my family if it actually hurts my ability to provide for my family. Right? Maybe to make an extreme example, mm-hmm. um, but but we know that 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 charity can be toxic. Um, mm-hmm. help, helping can hurt. Mm-hmm. Those are two good books, by the way, mm-hmm. to, um, uh, to brush up on, but you know, is it because she's white? That's the other question here. And what does that even mean? You know, uh, I don't know much about this, no white saviors organization that was involved in bringing suit against her. Um, they did send a tweet out last summer. Um, and they basically said a, a deeply flawed logical reasoning only afforded to, to white folks, uh, would be, you know, people that say, look at, look at their service, look at all the good that they've done for God's people. And they're mm-hmm. saying that, you know, that whiteness gives you this excuse that they, they are coming at it from a political cultural agenda. So I, I'm not, you know, willing to join the, the, the bandwagon there of, of calling her out, you know, simply because she's white or anything like that. Like there's clearly an extreme on that side. But I, I think what is true is that there is an American um, savior complex. There is a, um, uh, you know, a, a, a wealthy, um, <laughs> I mean, it, whether you're white or not, right. But, but when you're wealthy, you're from the West, um, you, you have the blessings that we enjoy here. There's a certain level of, uh, of a Messiah complex that comes with that. Mm-hmm. And that's what we have to be very careful to peel away. Yes, we do have the gospel that can save the world and yeah. we shouldn't keep that to ourselves. So that's, 
That's the other side of this that we've got to be careful about is we can't become so humble that we actually don't go out and do anything. Well, I don't want to lead people astray. No, you do have something to offer the rest of the world. uh, And that something is the gospel. Uh, But just because you're more wealthy, just because you come from a country where medical care is much more abundant and available doesn't necessarily mean that you have to solve all of the problems of the national community that you've been called to, right? Right. And, and again, I mean, with you, I, I don't know the internal motivations of Renee. I don't know. I'm assuming they're good. I don't know anything about the, the motivations of, of this other group that's attacking her. But, but I do think there's a lesson, though, if you are a white missionary, you know, and I, I don't even like the term white. Let's just talk, I'll say Caucasian, you know, if you're Caucasian, or just a missionary from America in general, right? Uh, like having the blessings and privileges of America. No, but I, I'm going to make a specific racial point that you may or may not agree with. Uh, okay. And that is like there is a history in these countries of colonialism from European and Western nations. So you've got to sure. recognize as you're going in there that, that that is part of the makeup of how the identity of that culture is formed. You know, I mean, there's a reason in these countries, you know, like there's a re- re- reason Zimbabwe is called Zimbabwe and not Rhodesia anymore, you know, like, sure. uh, cause yeah. Rhodesia was named after Cecil Rhodes, you know, and there's a huge connection to, to British. And there was definitely was a, a cultural and racial hierarchy and superiority that was built into the colonial system at that time. So to not take that into account is also foolish as a missionary. And again, I don't know anything about her. I'm not saying she had that mentality or anything like that. She may or may not have, but as a missionary, we have to understand there is a history to take into account. And that makes these situations even more volatile. Like this has become because they, they do have a sensitivity to what took place there. And I, I'm not an expert on Uganda at all. Right. And, uh, but, but I do think that there is a point there. If we can, you may want to comment on that, but if we want to pivot, I, I do want to ask the question of like, what about churches? Like what, what can churches do yeah. to, to deal with this, but, the issue of the, the lone missionary savior? Yeah. Let's dive into that because there's actually something that we can do about this. Mm. This isn't just analysis on some news story, right? Mm-hmm. I think this actually does touch down into our churches, into our discipleship and the right. way that we conduct our ministry and mobilization. So we'll do that when we come back from this break. Cross Conference 2020 is coming. This December, gather a group of 18 to 25-year-olds in your living room or church auditorium and join the Cross 20 live stream. Your group will hear from David Platt, Trip Lee, John Piper, and others as they aim to emphasize the clarity of the gospel, the centrality of the local church, and God's heart for the nations. Registration is just $10 per person. You can learn more and register at cross20.com. Learn more again and register at cross20.com. Hi, I'm Scott Dunford, and I'd like to share with you about a new nonprofit ministry established to help churches, Christian schools, and other ministries protect children and prevent abuse. Rich Hamar from Church Law and Tax states that the number one reason that drives churches to court is child sexual abuse. I can't think of anything more devastating to these lives, their families, and our witness before a watching world than sexual abuse that takes place in ministry. The traumatic impact often leaves the vulnerable not wanting anything to do with God or his people. Our efforts toward evangelism, discipleship, and spiritual formation are not only neutralized, but shattered. Evangelical Council for Abuse Prevention was formed to help ministry leaders understand the complexities of child 
protection and abuse prevention. They are establishing standards and an accreditation program that will help verify that appropriate measures are in place at your church or ministry. Learn more about them. Find a helpful and free assessment tool to help you see how you measure up in this area. Go to abuseprevention.org and click on the link for this resource assessment. Evangelical Council for Abuse Prevention. And this June, attend the National Conference. Go to abuseprevention.org and register with ABWE21 as the promo code to receive 20% off your ticket. That's promo code ABWE21 to receive 20% off. Brooks Buser, president of Radius International. I am here with Mark Dever, senior pastor at Capitol Hill Baptist and president of Nine Marks. When you go to a culture that's a different language than yours, you're ending up in a kind of majority language that's been reached. And there are other peoples still more hidden, and it's those people who are often almost entirely unreached, and they take more cross-cultural effort. Is there a way we can better train people to have more realistic expectations of what life is like in the kind of two steps away from my culture? and be able to sustain family life with its normal difficulties there so that there can be a long years and even decades long witness in that culture. And it seems like Radius is set up to provide that training. Radius is about reaching unreached people groups. Go to radiusinternational.org, radiusinternational.org. And we're back on the Missions Podcast talking about the Renee Bach story and whether or not modern evangelical missions is affected by the white savior complex. Now, there's a lot of cultural analysis that we could do on this. There's a lot of legal analysis that's above our pay grade. At least it's above my pay grade, Scott. I don't oh, know what we're too. paying I don't want to okay. be on this pay grade. <laughs> okay, good. Just just making sure. Yeah, thanks. But, um, but at our pay scale, there is something I think we can think about, which is, all right, how does this affect me? How does this affect my church and the way that I care for the missionaries that I'm discipling and helping send? And what I think is critical is Darren, in his article for the Gospel Coalition, Darren Carlson writes this towards the end. He says, self-sent and unprepared missionaries are a plague on the global missions world. Their desire is admirable and should be cultivated, but we should send them out in a manner worthy of God, 3 John 6, which means connecting the laborers with pastors and mentors to help them move, if needed, from being saviors in their own heart and on social media to servants. And boy, there's... There's a distinction I, I really like that he makes at the end of that, actually, but then we can comment on the role of pastors and, and others who are mentoring and discipling. I like that he distinguished, yeah, being a savior, um, it's not bad to want to save people. That, mm. That's a good motivation. Yeah. Um, are you actually doing that or is that just something that exists in your own heart, mind, and in your social media persona that you've constructed? I don't know. I, I spoke to a young man uh, just yesterday getting ready to go to college, go to Bible college. And he said, I used to be into materialism. Now I, um, I, I know that I, I want to travel the world or do missions, you know, or, or go backpacking right throughout Europe or, or something like that. I'm, I'm butchering his comment, <laughs> uh, but it reflects this listening. idea. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, I hope, I hope he's not, but, but he, listen, bro. Yeah, yeah. Hey, if he's listening, listen, brother. I mean, here would be the encouragement yeah. is it, missions is not at the top of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Missions right. is not about your self-actualization, your, um, you know, coming to yourself. Um, if that happens along the way, praise God, right? Because we should mm-hmm. find our satisfaction from loving God and serving others. 
but man, it's got to be about others too. And um, for this individual, I, I think he had just misspoken to me and uh, I think he does have a heart for others. So I want to give him credit there if he is listening for sure. Um, we talked about that actually on the phone. But, um, you know, for the rest of those listening in, this is where I think, you know, for you as a pastor, I'm curious what you would say, Scott, but like, this is where I think our local churches that send have a critical discipling role to play. Yeah. I mean, one, you know, we go through uh, seasons in our life, you know, that we're excited or passionate and without the guidance of pastors who, who've been given that role, right? I, I think the scripture, we, as Americans, we tend to downplay how much scripture talks about the role of pastors and elders, bishops, you know, in leading and ruling and, and shepherding. Um, yep. And, and we see that, you know, even in the life of Paul and Barnabas, the role of the local church um, is, is so crucial in, in helping to channel those things. I mean, I, I have opportunity to talk to young people quite a bit, including my own children, you know, and saying, Hey, this is a great desire you have. Let's, but, but slow down, take a breath. You know, uh, here's some things that have to be dealt with and worked on before you're ready. You know, we do see gifting, but there's also this, you know, that has to be, to be dealt with. And, and this is where, you know, the, the church being involved uh, in the missions process and involved in the lives of their people um, is so critical. Um, and as well as I think, and I know this is going to sound like a commercial from two guys who, who work for a missions org, but, um, but connecting to a, a a mission or a mission organization that knows something about it, you know, like I, you, you might say that, you know, Scott, you don't know much about Uganda. No, but I know people who do, you know, uh, (laughs) um, and you might not know much about medical missions. Oh, but I know people who do. In fact, I can, you know, pick up the phone call and send a quick email and get Miriam Wheeler on the, on the line or, or get, you know, one of our, you know, amazing doctors in Africa on the line or someone from, you know, someone from, you know, uh, somewhere else around the world and get them on the line and, and we can answer some of those questions. What is reasonable uh, with yeah. people who actually know. And, uh, and so, I mean, I'm, I'm now I'm kind of ranting here, Alex, cause yeah. I'm passionate about this, but, <laughs> but we, we, we shortchange ourselves when we allow our individualism and the urgency of the need and no one's doing anything about it to Trump really wise planning and thinking. Don't you, yeah. th- don't you think? Well, yeah. And we began with the question of, has the white savior complex infected evangelical missions? And I I think something slightly different is going on. I think there is an element to where we, because we're blessed, because we have the gospel, because we have lives of ease and technology and and relative access to to healthcare, um, that we naturally see ourselves as messianic figures. And that's, that's not necessarily a healthy thing, although we ought to want to share what we have. Mm-hmm. And that's a Christian impulse. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's, if that's not checked, that can become very dangerous. But I think that's just a factor. I think the other yeah. factors here are that we've marketed missions as this way to realize your inner potential and fulfill mm-hmm. your dreams and longings. And I think that coupled with something that we talked about here on the show a week or two ago, which is missionaries by and large that are sent aren't held to the qualifications of a deacon or pastor or overseer that are in the Pauline epistles, um, specifically in the pastoral uh, epistles. Um, We, we often send people that we would not hire on staff at a church. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that that's a reasonable threshold. Um, And I'm not saying that um, every missionary that's sent is a lead 
pastor, church planter, because um, we recognize there's support roles and there's those leadership roles. Um, and there's all sorts of shades uh, of gray along the way. But um, if you would not hire um, man or woman uh, at your church in a staff role, um, you know, in a support capacity or, or for the men as, as pastor elders or deacons, what have you, whatever that looks like, um, if you somehow have a lower standard for who you're willing to bless and send off to the field, you know, would you have hired an 18 year old to run an orphanage in the U.S.? No, yeah. um, no, no. So no. why would you have done no that? How in gifted Uganda? and qualified she is, and clearly she is a gifted, right. uh, smart, intelligent, passionate person. You yes. Know? Uh, yeah, and it seems that way. I I think she's a sister in the Lord, and and you know for, for that matter, um, even if the need in your community for an orphanage like that was massive, you you still wouldn't do that, would you? No, I wouldn't. Oh. Um, it doesn't mean there's not things I could do, but yeah, but not that. And and I and I think even within missions, there's like a within some there's like a, an impulse of like man, just like the passion to go. And like I would yeah. rather have people like her that are willing to go and and maybe make a mess of things than people who aren't. And I I don't know that I agree with that. Uh, mm. I I think that. Uh, without judging her motives, but I can judge my mm -hmm. own motives if I was in that situation because I am the kind of person that like runs into something quickly without always thinking it through. It'd be more my tendency. So like just, just because someone shows a good quality doesn't mean that the motivations are good. Just because someone shows, you know, so, so yeah, there's, there may be a good motivation to stay and plod and think there also could be the negative side of that, which is like fear, a, a fear or aversion to risk. There could also be on the other side, you know, like good, the positive things of, you know, courage and uh, passion and ingenuity and, and, and ambition. Those are all could, yeah. could be good things, but the dark side of that could be, you know, narcissism, uh, mm. individualism, uh, you know, uh, uh, stubbornness, unwilling to listen to criticism and to lead, take leadership. So, so we, I think we really need to be careful as we cultivate a heart for missions that we don't just say, just go, just dive in. Because I, I'm hearing stories a lot of young people that just give in to going because they want to go and maybe they're dissatisfied with their life in America. And I, I do think we're going to be careful coming out of COVID. I think there's gonna be a lot of pent up excitement and oh, <laughs> they want to yeah. get out and do something. And we do want them to go do something, but, but also through the right channels with the right preparation. So we don't want to damp, tamp the fire, but also we want to see that heart of discipleship of yeah. submission to Christ come. Cause even, even in these situations, it has to be a submission to Christ that allows yeah. you to slow down and do the right things at the right time and trust him uh, to, with, the, with the results. Well, and look at examples in the New Testament of times when people were told to wait. So um, much. Yeah. Yeah. Paul, when he was radically converted, spent seven years in the wilderness um, being uh, taught by the Lord and in the scriptures and rethinking his worldview and all those sorts of things. Um, he did not want John Mark to come with him. Um, and him and Barnabas disagreed about that. But, but Paul was saying, Hey, he's a young guy. He's nice, but, but no. Right. And mm -hmm. because he deserted us earlier. So mm -hmm. no, um, look at what Paul says about deacons in first Timothy three, they should be tested first. Mm -hmm. That that, that would surely apply to other offices um, or ministry roles. I think there's a principle there. Somebody ought to be tested. You ought not to send somebody who's completely untested 
I want to bring some application here for those who are mission workers themselves. Um, and so I, I got another question for you, Scott. Um, for those who are raising support, um, those who are on the field, is there a temptation to embellish? One of the issues that she had was she used the first person when she was describing medical interventions taken by the Uganda nationals that were on her team. She said, I did this. I intubated the patient. I whatever. Um, is there a temptation for a missionary to embellish? And how do you deal with that? Because there's also, I think, some missionaries who maybe undersell the impact that they're having. There's got to be a sweet spot in between. Mm. Yeah. Um I'm sorry. I'm, I'm kind of, trying, kind of, I'm kind of drawing a blank as I'm trying to think, you know, think, think through this. You know, I, I, I think it comes back to, um, you know, bringing the right people around in your life who can speak into this, into these situations and, um, who are able to give godly and wise counsel and can, can help direct us and guide us and not see ourselves through what is a very American lens, you know, very uh, individualistic way of looking at the world where we are the ones that make the final decisions about our life and, and really being part of a gospel community in which our gifting is brought out in which leadership has input into, into our thoughts and decision-making and the timing of things and seeing ourselves as part of, of what God's doing through a community of people, not just through us individually. I, um, I, you know, I, I look back with regret, you know, even on my own, uh, calling into missions, so to speak, you know, where it was pretty much announced, you know, this is what mm. I think God's calling us to do. And our church, you know, didn't even bat an eye at it. I mean, they were just like, oh, well, praise the Lord, who are we to get in your way? You know, like, yeah. uh, <laughs> and it, so it wasn't just me, it was me and the culture of the church I was in that both were like, yeah, that's the way we do it. You know, like, you know, I'd, I've talked to many pastors who just feel like when someone says God's calling me, who am I to say that he's not? Well, you know, I, I think that both sides, the church people and the pastoral leadership needed to say, you know, we are together in this and God has empowered, you know, he does speak through people and does, you know, lead people, but, always, I think, within the context of that local church. You know, before we give some final application here, uh, I do want to make one quick aside. And um, we we usually get some of our announcements and, and commercials out of the way earlier in the program. Um, but I do want to give a chance here to talk about another opportunity. If you're somebody that's looking for God's will on your life, missions is certainly a great option. But beyond that, uh, we are a part of an exciting team here that's based in ABWE's international headquarters. And ABWE is hiring for two full-time positions, executive administrator for the president's office. Uh, my wife actually formally uh, held that position before staying home with our kids. And so that's a great gig. And uh, also our corporate events planner. There's a huge impact there to to leading our missionaries and teams and staff through um, devotions, setting up those sorts of things. Uh, but these are paid positions with benefits. Uh, you don't have to fundraise. That That is a privilege that we have um, of the way that God has provided for ministry here. Uh, but it's a great atmosphere. You can serve the Lord by using your gifts, further the gospel, missions around the world. You can find out more at abwe.org slash jobs or go to contact human resources by emailing jobs at abwe.org. So abwe.org slash jobs for more info and you can apply from there, but getting back to the situation at hand, uh, Darren makes this comment in the article and, and Darren, good job on the article. We wanted to have Darren on to discuss it today. He wasn't available, but uh, we need to have him on again soon. He asks for pastors, was it reasonable for a church to send a 20 year old woman 
with no training or oversight to the mission field uh, to run a medical clinic? The implied answer is, is no. I think what it comes back to for us is we have to be willing to wait. We have to be willing to take people through the hard training, doing the hard interview process, um, allowing needs to temporarily go unmet on the field, even though eternity is, is urgent and matters so that we can do it the right way without long-term negative ramifications. And we don't have to feel bad either though. And that's the, that's the thing. That's the tension with this is you can also feel so bad. Oh man, I don't want to have a white savior complex that I, I think Satan would love to use that to stop people from serving overseas. Mm. Uh, well, I have this negative mindset and so I'm just not going to do anything. That's wrong too. And so like with so many things, it's walking this knife's edge balance, but it goes back to the earlier quote, don't be a savior, be a servant, mm. a servant of the gospel. Yeah. It, you know, there's a godly sort of paternalism here. And what I mean by that is, is we reject paternalism culturally, you know, as far as what that means, you know, we're putting ourselves above other people. Um, nobody wants to do that. But at the same time, the apostle Paul says, I was like a father to you. You know, you have a lot of teachers, but not as many spiritual fathers. Mm. What does godly paternalism look like? It, it doesn't look like smothering nationals. It doesn't look like coming in and reinventing the wheel and, and actually upsetting the culture and, uh, and, and not being sensitive to the nuances of culture on the ground. Um, but it does look like love. It does look like service. It does look like spiritual parentage. Any closing thoughts, Scott? Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I mean, and I mean, certainly words we use are so loaded with, with meaning, but I mean, it, we are called to minister and as and we're, we're called to serve. And I think that you hit it right when you said like our, our posture has to be that of a learner and a servant of Christ, not of any kind of superiority. And then living within humble submission to people who've done it before, um, people who are doing it, even learning from their mistakes and listening to them when they talk about their mistakes. Um, and I think we can come alongside of people in our in our current role, but it, but doing it in a way that that just charges in without knowledge, without wisdom. Like we got to yeah. call that out and we got to call that out early um, because now we, there is a tragedy, you know, regardless of all the details that happened, it's a tragedy of lives that were ruined. And even Renee's life is is really know hurt and the cause of christ is is ruined and there's there's gonna be so many good reasons for people to attack us and 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 Hmm. treat the cross as something shameful that we don't need to add to it by our own foolishness and i know i've been guilty of that i can remember so clearly you know being a 20 uh you know 23 24 year old guy in seminary and just thinking i should be a deacon in my church and i should have leadership and i have wisdom to offer and i know the word well and i look back at that snot-nosed kid and just think what was he thinking like he had no idea what he was doing you know and and i know that comes with just age and being crotchety but i do think there's some wisdom in in and those of us, you know, who have a little more experience reaching out and saying, hey, I love your enthusiasm, but slow down, you know, <laughs> and let's think about this. And so we need to yeah. just not abdicate in those roles either, just because of the excitement of youth instead of help channel it and help focus it and get it involved in a local church first. Mm. Yeah. Amen to that. Well, we want to hear what you think. Write to us your thoughts, feedback, questions, Alex at missionspodcast.com. The Missions Podcast is a production of ABWE. To get more, go to missionspodcast.com. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe, share with a friend, and leave a positive rating and review for us in your favorite app. 
It helps us get the word out to more people so that we can bridge the chasm between missions and theology. So thanks for being a part of the show today. Scott, thanks for the lively conversation and thank you all for listening.